So last Sunday, in a very short talk, and it was a short talk because we celebrated three years, three years. Who would have thought? We're three years down the track already. We celebrated with um, some snacks and food and stuff outside. It was a great time. But I gave a very short talk last Sunday in which I asked you to imagine the coming of Jesus to this world. I mean, what that must have been like, just the sheer awe-inspiring enormity of it all. And what I want to do today is I want to move on and I want to look a little at the life of Jesus. I want to look a little at who Jesus is. So this morning, maybe you might be a little overwhelmed, maybe a little stunned. Maybe this morning you'd be a little delighted by how God has shaped history through Jesus in awesome ways. So who is Jesus? Who is this baby that was born, who grew up on the earth? That we, that we know something of. Who is Jesus? I mean, he wasn't a political figure. He, when he came into this world, had no connections. His family had no connections. There was no connection to Herod or to the religious leaders or to Rome. He never got his followers to, you know, revolt. He never urged them to a military uprising, even though they were living under occupation. He never wrote a book. He never really traveled that much. His followers were pretty ordinary people, uneducated, unimportant people. The New Testament tells us this about the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 4. It says that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were unschooled, ordinary people. But there was something about them. There was something about them. Luke tells us in Acts, it was noted about them that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. Something was different. And now here we are this morning, over 2,000 years later, and it's virtually impossible, I think, for us this morning to imagine our world without the imprint of Jesus on it. But I'm going to try, just, just a little bit. I don't think I'm going to manage that well, but I'm going to try. And I want you to imagine with me this morning what the world w- would, would be like without any followers of Jesus. What would this world be like without any Christians, right? Because that's who we are. I mean, imagine a world with no church, no church, no Notre Dame, no St. Paul's or St. Peter's Cathedral, no church under a tree in some places in Africa, no house churches in China, no Catholic, no Anglican, no Presbyterian, no Methodist, no Uniting, no Baptist, no Charismatic churches, no Pentecostal churches, no Evangelical churches, no Renew. I mean, imagine, imagine not having all the people. No Peter, no Paul, no James, no Timothy, no Augustine, no Aquinas, no Francis of Assisi, no Joan of Arc, no Mother Teresa, no Martin Luther, no Ulrich Zwingli. You know who he was? Or Jacobus Arminius, no Dietrich Bonhoeffer, no Corrie ten Boom. No, John Chrysostom, John Milton, John Wesley, John Calvin, John Bunyan, John the Baptist, Andrew John Bailey. I mean, can you imagine a world with no Christians, no church? Maybe this morning what we should do is just go back for for a moment. Just go back to this idea of a church. Where did this movement spring from? Where did it come from? Because if you go back in time into the ancient world, you find that there were nations, there were families, 
There were ethnic groupings, there were guilds, there were tribal religions and philosophical schools, but the church was none of those things. So where did this idea of a church come from? Where did this idea of a people who actively sought to include every single human being, regardless of their nationality or their ethnicity or their status or their wealth or their gender or their moral background or their education, Where did this movement come from where they included and loved and were interested in the transformation of people? Where did it come from? Well, as a matter of historical reality, it began with a crucified carpenter whose name is Jesus. Paul says this about the church in Colossians chapter chapter 3. He says about this movement, about this group of people who we know as the church. He says there's no Greek or Jew. There's no circumcised, uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. He's saying there's no distinguishing here. Everyone's welcome, right? Why? Because Christ is all and in all. And so Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I'm pretty sure that the only reason that you are here today is because of Jesus. Maybe one of you or two of you had your arm twisted, I don't know. But I reckon for the majority of us this morning, the reason why we're sitting in these seats is because of Jesus. And we're here because Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. 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 Do you know why New Year's Day is where it is on the calendar? It's pretty much because of Jesus. I mean, no one knows for certain when Jesus was born, but the reason why December the 25th was chosen is because it's nine months after March the 25th, which is traditionally the date of Jesus' crucifixion. And Christians developed the theological idea that Jesus was crucified and conceived on the same date. So they set the date of his birth nine months later, which is the 25th of December. And so the intent was that the name of Jesus would be remembered at the start of every year. You see, in Israel, they would start counting the days on on, on the day a baby was born, right? And on the eighth day, that baby would be brought to the temple and it would be presented. It would be circumcised if it was a male, and the baby would be given its name. So December 25th, 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30, 31, January the 1st marks the beginning of the new year because that's the day when the name, above all names, came into the world. And the church has historically celebrated this for centuries. Every January the 1st, marks that whether we know it or not. So this year, when you hear the fireworks or when you're watching your flat screen TV and they're going around the world and you're seeing all of the displays, you know, it's the start of another new year. Just, just remind yourself and just say, ah, the world is celebrating the name of Jesus yet again. Isn't that awesome? You see, this was expressing something that was changing in people's idea of history which was hope. 
It was bringing hope. The followers of Jesus came to believe that history is a story. And it's an idea that began with Israel way back in that ancient world. And then through Jesus, it spread right around the world. That history is a story. That God is leading history somewhere. So many people today out there just take history for granted, don't they? You know, they, it's, it's just like history is there because it, it, it occurs through the natural progress of time. You know, that's why we have history. They don't stop to think that history is leading to a certain point in time. The starting point, Luke tells us, is when Jesus was born, when, when God became flesh. And he writes this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. This is how Luke announces, this is how Luke tells us when Jesus was born. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this took place, Luke tells us, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, is that a great way of dating something? I mean, in my view, you read that verse and you know, that's a pretty clumsy way of dating the birth of Jesus. Why doesn't, why doesn't Luke just tell us the year? When Jesus was born, why didn't he just tell us the year? Well, what we've got to appreciate is that the system, the way things worked in the time of Luke and in that region was that events would be dated by the reign of the emperor. That's how they were dated, by the reign of the emperor. So year one of the reign of Caesar Augustus, this happened. In year 10, in the reign of Caesar Augustus, this is what occurred. But you know, over time, the power of every Caesar faded, as power always does. And so the reputation and the vision of those leaders diminished over time. But the reputation and the vision of this man, Jesus, this unknown carpenter, this crucified rabbi, just kept growing and growing and growing. And so by the 6th century, like 600 years after Jesus, a Scythian monk living in Rome proposed a new system for the dating of history. You can Google him. His name was, I don't even know if I'm going to uh, um, pronounce this correctly. His name was Dionysius Exodus. And his suggestion was that the calendar be centered not on the pagan myth of the founding of Rome, but on the incarnation of this man, Jesus. This man who... Nobody really knew this man who never had an office, this man who never wrote a book. The creation of the calendar as we know it was not just a chronological convenience. It was a theological statement that life in this universe is not an accident. It's not a random cycle. Life on this planet is about a story, and there's a storyteller behind it. And it's critical event is the entrance into this world of a Jewish son named Jesus. Now, Jesus himself lived and died in a very short life, in a dusty, little-known part of the world. No Caesar had ever even heard of him. They didn't even know that he existed. But in the first century, one of the disciples of Jesus, his name was John, you know what he called Jesus? Lord of Lords. And king of kings. The great rulers of the world didn't know who Jesus was. But those who followed him said he's Lord, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. I mean, in the first century, the church was not very big. 
know, maybe just a few thousand people. And for the church to make a claim like that was ridiculous. King of kings and Lord of lords. But the fact remains that over 2,000 years since the birth of this man, every single time any human being anywhere on the planet opens up a calendar on their phone or unfolds a newspaper if you still read a newspaper or switches on your computer, we are reminded every day that Jesus Christ has in fact become the defining point of human history. The Emperor Nero died in the year of our Lord, 68 AD. Napoleon died in the year of our Lord, 1821. Joseph Stalin, the great dictator, died in the year of our Lord, 1953. Elizabeth II, Queen of England, died in the year of our Lord, 2022. How strange, how strange that every ruler who's ever reigned, every nation that rises and falls, must be dated in reference to the life of this man, Jesus. How do you explain that? How do you explain what's happened to our world because of him? You know, he's even arranged the way we, uh, we, we, we work with time. He's changed it. Because without Jesus, there would not be a Sunday as we know it. There was always a Sabbath, right? The Sabbath was invented by the people of Israel. You go back to the Old Testament. The, Israel was the only ancient culture who deliberately gave up a day of potential economic gain, they gave that up as a statement of trust in a creator God, the Sabbath. Everything got put down to have that day of rest. But by the end of the first century, Christians had begun to meet on another day, not the seventh day anymore. Ancient Roman writers recorded that Christians began to meet on the very first day of the week. And the first day of the week is a Sunday. Not a Monday, as some of you might think. It's a Sunday. But why? Why did Christians begin to meet on the first day of the week? Why the first day? Because that's resurrection day. That's resurrection day. The resurrection of Jesus changed the way we arrange our time. The whole idea of what we call holidays that we look forward to started, they began as holy days. Holy days. So we could remember the life and impact of this man, Jesus. Even how we got mechanical clocks. For centuries, there were followers of Jesus in monastic communities, monasteries, right? And these monks would orientate their days around the practice of prayer to this great God, to worship Jesus. And they were called the prayers of the hours. The prayers of the hours. And in the 13th century, some Benedictine monks created mechanical clocks so that they could know what when to come together to pray. Like that, this was the hour to come together to pray. And that, by the way, is why for centuries in many communities, the time was told by, was by bells that rung from church steeples. Dong, 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 dong. That's how people knew what time it was. It was a call to worship. It was a call to prayer. Isn't it amazing? Jesus even shaped how we express compassion. I mean, every human being has the capacity for, com for compassion, but the followers of Jesus shaped compassion in ways that we often don't know about. You know, in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, there was a very, very different time and way of living to the way we live now. 
in that time, it was generally the beautiful and the noble and the strong who were admired, right? The rich and the powerful, they would sometimes take their money and they would um, give it towards public works or, you know, to a park or to, to have a statue made or to the baths, you know, the Roman baths. But it would always be done in the name of the rich man. And it was a way to show that the rich man's greatness. And so those people were admired in that society. But the weak and the marginal in the classical world were generally not valued. In the first century, a Roman philosopher named Seneca wrote this. We, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. We drown them. Except there was this strange little community where the people remembered that they followed somebody who said, let the children come to me. So the church actually began to take in abandoned children. It was something that no one had ever seen before. They began to take them in. A guy named, again with the pronunciation, Beningus of Dijon, a follower of Jesus. He nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed and crippled children that had been saved from death after failed abortions and exposures. Do you know that this guy was martyred for his actions? He lost his life because of his compassion. His life got taken from him because you weren't supposed to do that. That was the way the world was. Um, if, if you were a widow and you actually had, you know, you'd like outlived your husband, the Romans find you. True story. Go and Google it. It was considered kind of bad form for the wife to outlive the husband, like a drag on the economy. So you got fined. But there was this little community of people who remembered that they followed somebody who told his friend, John, when he was dying on the cross, take care of my mother. She's like your mother now. And so the church started to take in and care for widows, people that they weren't even related to. You know, one of the main reasons why the church has grown and why it grew so much in those, in those early centuries was because of epidemics. Epidemics would just kill thousands of people. And what, we, 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 people had sick people in the house, they would actually throw them out, throw those sick people out onto the streets so that they didn't get contaminated. But the strange little community called the church would bring in those sick people and, and care for them at risk to their own health because this Jesus that they followed cared for lepers and the blind and the deaf and the lame. And as the church grew, when it came to the fourth century, what was essentially the very first hospital to care for the sick was developed by a follower of Jesus named St. Benedict. And by the sixth century, Monasteries commonly had hospitals attached to them. And over time, this idea that compassion should be expressed to all who are weak or marginalized began to transform the culture. It was an idea that had never, ever existed before. It began to change the shape of things until at the Geneva Convention, an organization was started to alleviate human suffering. And it chose as its symbol a large cross on a flag. And it became known as the Red Cross. If you, 
ask yourself about Jesus' influence on medicine and, and compassion. I, I would suggest to you this morning that wherever you find an institution for the welfare of people, whether it be schools or hospitals or hospices or orphanages, their roots lie in the church because of Jesus. I read about a, a doctor whose name was Paul Brand. He went to live in India for a while and he lived amongst the lepers in a community, community where people were struggling with leprosy. And this man was a Christian. He was a follower of Jesus. And he made it his, his life's mission to, to find a cure for leprosy. And he did. A devoted follower of Christ. He died in July 2003. Has anyone here ever heard of the, geno the Human Genome Project? The Human Genome Project was, uh, in the early 2000s, an international scientific research project to understand the genetic makeup of the human species, right? To have a database on human DNA to help develop cures and treatments for medical conditions. And it just opened up the world to a whole new field of medicine. And that research has been valuable for the whole planet. Now, the head of that project was a guy named Dr. Francis Collins. Glenn, you put me onto this book. This guy, Dr. Francis Collins, was a committed atheist. He did not believe in a God until they began to map the human DNA. And he began to say, it's impossible that this is just random. It, it, it brought him to a place of belief in God. It brought him to a place of committing his life to Jesus. The head of that project, he wrote a book called The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. You want a good book to read this Christmas? Get that one. The followers of Jesus even shaped education as we know it. I mean, just look at how Jesus changes this Old Testament verse from Deuteronomy, right? In Deuteronomy, we're told that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength. And Jesus comes along and, and changes it. This is Jesus' version here in, in Mark. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And then he puts in these words, and with all your mind. And with all your strength. What, what does it mean to love God with all of your mind? Have you ever wondered how it is that we have all of these ancient documents? How all of these things have been recorded and kept for us? You know, we got these texts of, 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 the, of the great classical Roman and, and Greek and other thinkers. And they still exist today. There are a variety of reasons. But the main one is because in the 4th century... Some of the followers of Jesus entered into these monastic communities. And for centuries, those became the only institutions in Europe for the acquisition and preservation and transmitting of knowledge. So for centuries, those monks would sit in those monasteries just copying down those ancient manuscripts. It wasn't just the New Testament and the early church texts. They were writing everything down, recording it and keeping it. The, the single greatest preserver of pagan classical documents were followers of Jesus because they were convinced that all truth is God's truth. We love it all and we want to learn it all. And then because of loving God with all of their mind, the church began to build schools to educate young people. And then the church began to build universities. And the first university was built in Paris in the 12th century. And then in the 13th century, Oxford and Cambridge came along. And then universities in Rome and Naples and Vienna and Heidelberg. The church started them. All started by followers of Jesus. So people could love God with all of their minds. 
It's an interesting word, isn't it? That word, university. Universities. They were called universities because they reflected this idea that in the beginning, God created all things. Reality is not just a random cyclical accident. God is supremely rational. And so that means that there is a reality that can be studied to a large extent and known for the glory of God. So they created not multiversities, not diversities, not random chaos, a university to study a universe. The alphabet of the Slavic people is called Cyrillic. It was named after Saint Cyril. And he was a missionary to the Slavs and he discovered that they had no written alphabet. So he created one for them. And this is like hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And he created an alphabet for them so that they could read a book about Jesus in their own language. And then nation after nation, culture after culture, Christian missionaries went out there and they found languages that had not been committed to writing. And so they gave their lives to that. They committed their lives to that task. And in many cases, the first efforts of the scientific study of a language was done by Christian missionaries. Christians compiled the first dictionaries. Christians wrote the first grammars. Christians developed the first alphabets. And the first important proper name written in many, many languages was the name Jesus. The Gospels are translated into more than 2,300 languages. 2,300 languages. No other book on the planet comes anywhere near that. No other book has been translated as much as the Gospels. The followers of Jesus even revolutionized art. Without Jesus, there's no Dante. You know, the divine comedy that became a shaper of modern Italy. Without Jesus, there's no Martin Luther, whose German Bible became the primary shaper of the German language. Without Jesus, there's no King James Bible, which became the most important source for the shaping of the English language. Without Jesus, there is no Johannes Bach, who signed all of his works to the glory of God. Can you imagine a world with no Hallelujah Chorus, no Messiah, no Mozart's Requiem, no Gregorian chants? In fact, much of the music notation, Lindsay, was invented in the Middle Ages by monks who wanted to find a way to note it down so they could spread that music and honor Jesus. That's why they developed a way of noting down music and spreading it. I mean, can you imagine? No Sistine Chapel. Anybody ever been to the Sistine Chapel? No Sistine Chapel. No Da Vinci's Last Supper. Blaster. I mean, we could probably this morning go on for a year like this. There simply has been no transcendent vision of reality, no cosmic story to make sense of this earth other than Jesus. He's changed how we think about human rights. He's changed how we think about human worth and human dignity. He shaped political theory. He was the one. He was the one who uniquely taught love of our enemies. Phrases like, turn the other cheek. If they ask you to go a mile, go two miles instead. Love your enemies and bless those who persecute you so that you might be children of your Father in heaven. The idea that you are to love your enemies is not a natural human idea. But you know, Jesus didn't just talk about this. On his cross, he said about those who were executing him, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he created a community of people who would actually love this way. We read those ancient texts about the early followers of Jesus. 
who gave up their lives for him. Christian martyrs who died for their love of Jesus. Those texts tell us that many of them got torn apart by dogs and wild animals, that they died, that they were nailed to crosses, that they were doomed to the flames. The emperor Nero took some of those early Christians and covered them with tar and lit them up to light up gladiator games. Lasted for three centuries. Do you know the response of the Christians was not to take revenge? It was not to start an army. It was not to create an armed resistance. It was to love Nero. It was to love Rome. Jesus inspired a writer named Tolstoy, a Christian, who wrote a book called Resurrection. It, it got banned in Russia, but it inspired a British-trained lawyer to start a Tolstoyan community in my homeland, South Africa. The last letter that Tolstoy ever wrote to a non-relative was to this lawyer to praise the self-sacrificing, enemy-loving love of Jesus. The lawyer's name was Mahatma Gandhi. He went back to India. He never became a Christian. But there's no way to understand the movement that Gandhi led apart from the Sermon on the Mount and the suffering love of Jesus. There is really so much more that we can say about this man and how he has influenced humanity how he has changed our planet. Who is Jesus? He's the defining point of history. He's the hope of the oppressed. He's the inspiration of the despairing. He is the King of Kings, and he is the Lord of Lords. He's the greatest teacher who ever lived. He's the greatest mind who ever thought. He sparked the greatest movement that's ever spread across the planet called the church. He offered the greatest gift that has ever been given. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone overcame sin. He alone grows more present with each passing year. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And He is coming again. Knowing Him, truly knowing Him, is the most worthwhile thing any of us could ever do with our life. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to pray. Lord Jesus, I just come before you this morning and I just want to give thanks for this time of year where we don't just celebrate a little baby in a manger but we celebrate a world changer. We celebrate a universe changer. We celebrate a heart transformer. We're so thankful that you entered into this story of your own creation. Humanity who drifted so far away from you, so far apart from you. You had such great love for them that you made a way for that bridge between humanity and divinity to be crossed. How can we not stand in awe of you this morning? How can we not give you all praise and all worship and all adoration? You give the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. So great is your love. You give us, you give us air to breathe, the righteous and the unrighteous. So great is your love. God, my honest prayer this morning is that every heart 
in some way would melt at the enormity of who you are and the fact that you're not distant, you're closer than close and you want that relationship. You want that relationship with us, that deep communion with us. God, may our hearts soften before you. May our spirits be open to your Holy Spirit and to the greatest gift that humanity has ever received. Christ, the Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want prayer before you go, we'd love to pray with you. Thank you.